surfing's Mount Rushmore has a set of criteria, something along the lines of surfing talent multiplied by human value times made up wisdom, decency, compassion, and sense of humor, then hand me a clean sheet of paper and a Sharpie, and let's begin with Pam Burridge. Sorry, Gidget, but Duke, stick around. You're probably still in. Nevertheless, she persisted. Mark Acabalupo's 1999 world title will forever be our sport's most satisfying, most righteous, competitive comeback story. But Pam's title in 1990 is a hot second, and she knocked out pretty much every boss to get there, including drugs, alcohol, eating disorder, depression. Cliché, but true. Every hardship seemed to make Pam stronger, more centered, and more caring of others. She kept evolving. She never won another world title, but her surfing continued to improve for years after. Pam could outglam anybody in the sport, male or female, but by and large, she spent her adult life looking like the last girl out of the pond at Woodstock, happy and bedraggled. She is a smiling destroyer of surf world pieties. Quote, I hated everything about surfing except surfing, end quote. And in truth, we'll never make it to surfing's Mount Rushmore. But she was once called Mother Superior in a surf mag headline. And I will Twitter tackle anybody who says otherwise. From the Encyclopedia of Surfing, I'm Tyler Brewer in Brooklyn. And I'm his brother, Jamie, in London. This is the Sunday Joint, where we roll up Matt Warshaw's weekly newsletter for a deep inhale of surfing's past, present, and future. On this episode, we pull one of Matt Warshaw's latest Sunday joints, December 6, 2020, and gush over how freaking cool 1990 women's ASP world champ Pam Burridge is. We, de- we dive into the long and incredible arc of surfing's mother superior, and of course, Jamie, Jamie and I try to El Stumpo each other with Stump My Bro, all on this week's Sunday joint. Uh, yes, named after the famous explorer, <laughs> and the uh, and the uh, stump wave in the endless summer. That's what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, well, that's that's what I was. Do, talking do you about. know who the is a little stump for you? Who's the famous explorer that it was named after? Damn, you got to do it at the top of the show. I I forgot. I <laughs> totally forgot. I can't believe Leonardo El Stumpo. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, uh, <laughs> oh well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, you know, when you mentioned the the Mount Rushmore thing, yeah, um, 
I, I was thinking of like asking you, you know, who who would be your, on your women's surfing Mount Rushmore, Ooh. and um, it, it's tricky. I may, may, but then I thought actually maybe a better question would be, you know, who would be your Mount Rushmore based on Matt's criteria of talent times wisdom, decency, compassion, and sense of humor? Who I I would put at the top of the list probably Linda Benson. Oh, um, why? Yes, I don't know much about her. Uh, she, you know, I mean, you know, obviously her surfing history, competitive history in the sixties, you know, I believe she won Makaha contest and, um, obviously a pioneer, uh, women surfer in, in Hawaii, uh, particularly, I think, um, she's just such a lovely human being. I've met her a few times and she's just been amazing and she does a lot for the sport and she's been involved her whole life you know and i just think she's um just so cool and and she she's been around for a long time and been involved so i don't know i just think she's contributed a lot inspired a lot of women to surf uh all through her life um you know so i think that that's all uh would be worthy of being on there for sure uh especially um when you go by Matt's criteria. Yeah. And if you multiply it by talent, yeah, I know she was, yeah. she, she was, was a, a phenomenal excellent surfer. surfer. Yeah. Still is still is that, you know, like she, she's been surfing for life basically. So I would put her, her up there. She's, I would say she's like an equivalent of Mickey Munoz almost in some ways. Oh yes. I feel like there's like parallels of just like their their kind of attitude as well and positivity. There's something there. Um, so I don't know. Oh my god, yeah. No, I'd like to to, to hear more about her. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, especially if you're saying like like Mickey Munoz, like I I hadn't I, I he would definitely be in that list. Just like yeah. a really cool guy and like everything you ever read of him, like. He seems like a real timeless person as well. Yeah. You know, someone who, um, you know, like when, when you read his attitude and, and stuff, he doesn't have a dated attitude. You know, he has an attitude that worked in the 50s and works yeah. now, it feels like. Yeah, no, I'm, you know, he, um, he actually was friends with our dad. And I remember going to the trade show and dad and Mickey, Mickey's like, when Fred, uh, you know, remembered him. And I was like, no way. And I was so stoked. And he introduced me to him and everything. And it was just like unreal. Like, so, so cool. Such a, such a really, you know, you feel that energy from certain people, I guess. And so I put her up there. Rel's son would obviously be up there. Uh, Margot Oberg, of course, I think uh, she's just gracious, talented, uh, stuck around for a long time, inspired so many women to surf. And uh, God, like she ripped. I mean, she I think she could have competed on the men's side and could have had a decent go, to be honest. You know, yeah, because she definitely had the longevity and, and to span eras, you know, go from the 60s into the 80s. That, that was that was pretty unheard of for any any surfer. Yep. Kelly Slater is the is the male version of her, basically. Yeah, apart from that, yeah. the, the the whole style hasn't changed. You know, it's still the same thing, just better now. Yeah. Whereas Margot Oberg, when she Longboard. was in the, so yeah, it's the, 
<laughs> that's that's <laughs> just uh, to shortboard. And I know the, the only other person who did that was Mike Nat Purpose. Young. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike Purpose or Nat Young. <laughs> Although Nat, I mean Nat, Nat rips on a shortboard, but his style yeah. was still that upright kind of kind yeah. of thing, you know. And he didn't like he wasn't um, he wasn't you know the, a top competitive surfer after the early seventies, whereas Margot was still a top competitive surfer in the 80s, which is pretty trippy to say the least. It it feels like um, particularly women don't get the credit, I feel like in surf history a lot of times. Uh, it's, it's often glossed over and that accomplishment of hers is freaking amazing, you know? And that should be celebrated way more, I feel like, and should be recognized uh, a lot more. Well, God, I mean, talking about recognizing someone who uh, had a long career, we should yeah. talk about Pam Sorry. Burridge. Pam Burridge. <laughs> so, so let's let me just give a quick breakdown of who Pam is. Um, so, Matt's description in her profile on the EOS, which we recommend everyone listening to go check out, subscribe, support. Um, he writes. Warm and articulate Australian goofy footer, originally from Sydney's Manly Beach, world champion in 1990, described by Surfer Magazine in 1999 as the mother superior of women's surfing. Uh, she had won uh, New South Wales title in 1979, 1980, 1981, and her first Australian Open title when she was 14 in 1980 and again in 81 turned pro at age 15 and then a later year later she was ranked in the top five on the international pro ranks in the early 80s pam established herself as a rising star on the pro tour winning events putting pressure on the more experienced surfers um she won she was six times asp world tour runner-up six times i know and that's uh <laughs> that's that's just, it's something like I mean, what's special about her though is is that it's kind of, you know like Joel Parkinson you know the two of them were were people who got second place tons and tons of times great comparison and finally did it like yeah I mean God what a relief you know that must have been I mean heartbreaking nonetheless but yeah I mean she's incredible she's won twenty contests. You know, here's a real interesting uh, parallel. Her One of her favorite surfers growing up was Shane Haran. She felt MR's uh, style was a little too upright. And, um, but she then rode McCoy boards and stayed on the single fin a lot later than everyone else, similar to Shane Haran. Yeah. I just find the the parallels there really interesting. Who Shane had, you know, I believe four runner ups as well. I know. Yeah. Does that uh, yeah say a lot of good things? You know about the boards they were riding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it does. I mean, like yeah. th there's. Uh, I mean, yeah. Jeff McCoy was was an awesome shaper, and actually, there's one one thing on the on the EOS where. Um, and Matt puts a little video up making the case for McCoy's board, Shane's McCoy board actually being a better fit than the thruster. Did you see that one? Uh, no, I didn't. I swear he he's you know he beats Tom Carroll in the finals for the Bells contest. I think it's eighty five. 
So like pretty like five years into the thruster, like everyone's yeah. riding a thruster. Shane's already passed his run of second places. Everyone's saying, come on, dude, switch, switch, switch. And then you watch him and it's only shoulder high and he just he Fine. destroys it. And actually you look at the boards and, you, and Tom's board looks a bit sticky, whereas Shane's board mm. is quite... Um, but yeah, yeah, she she was with McCoy for a long time, and um, and then went to Aloha, went to Aloha, uh, Greg Clow, I think, and but she was only getting like the the other pros' stock boards, basically, you know, or their boards, so they weren't being shaped for her. I did. That's like a a big <laughs> what the like. She was <laughs> one of the, the top top pro surfers, and is not being given her own boards <laughs> like I, it's crazy uh, it's so <laughs> fucked up when you think about it um it's it's incredibly unreal <laughs> and it and it basically took her meeting her her longtime partner and husband um you know uh mark ravage you know where they met in 1989 and so she had what's interesting is like I just also got to, I mean, I know we're on this board thing, but yeah, we'll keep going actually. But basically Mark Ravage, her, her now <laughs> husband, I was going to go on another tangent. Are you all right there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A little too much Austin East Siders and rum, maybe. Oh, um, but Ravage, her, her husband, <laughs> um, basically said to her, like, you want to win this world title? Cause she had just gotten second again in 89. And he's like, you want to win this world title? Like, let's, let's go for it this year. And he started shaping boards for her. And that made such a huge difference. And you can kind of see the difference, you know, in the surfing and surfing styles. If you look at some older footage of her and then you look at like 1990, it was a lot looser, her surfing. And and you know they basically sold a bunch of stuff and and like raised this money to do it and she got like i forgot but like it's some insane amount of seconds in 1990 like just consistently getting second at least i mean like first i mean bundaberg i believe she got second to lisa anderson uh over there and then like had a whole bunch of others and then one one event that year and then went down to sunset and it was but yeah that was like kind of probably the difference having someone like help believe in it she was always a loner too do you, do you read about that like in the DC yeah yeah, yeah. on the eos yeah i mean with that's a, um yeah she, she was a loner and she also you know said a lot of stuff about um you know that i think that's the thing it's such a psychological barrier going from second to first place you know that kind of it it's like getting to second means you're talented you work hard you you're brilliant you're doing everything and it's you know to get to second is pretty much just as good as being the world champion it's it's just as it means you're just as good as you can do everything and it's by getting that last bit over the over the hump is that more psychological thing, you know? Um, and she said it, she said she would get that close. Yeah. And then she just would start to like talk her way out of it. And, you know, it's like, 
have you have you ever had stuff where like you i don't know like you get near an end of a book or something like that you just can't <laughs> you just can't finish it it's just that last little you're so close I've, I I liken it almost to like those dreams where like your legs go numb and you're trying to run and you just keep falling and you just can't like there's just something that happens psychologically where you, that you buckle under the pressure. And she she was like first to admit that she really didn't handle that pressure well beforehand. And then but to be honest, she also she also was alone. Mostly she was quite alone or quite qu- quiet. Um you know, and, and, you know, didn't have like the support. Uh, She was working, you know, uh, at one point, like working at like a video rental shop and trying to save money to be on tour. I mean, it was like, uh, well, that's a whole different uh, car park stealer, like Asian wreckers car park (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's nothing to do with being a loner that's just the state of 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 the pittance that women got paid back then that and i'm just trying to show the obstacle she had to overcome to win a world title um you know it's kind of crazy like all the stuff she had to go you know carry and then focus and train on on surfing and and being on the tour like that'd be really really difficult you know, you're like working a job, but then you're really focused on this other thing. I know like it's, it's a, you know, and then she was dealing with like other, other issues and then not, not to, not to, we got to mention, but her music career as well. <laughs> <laughs> the opening song, <laughs> Summertime All Around the World, but Pam and the Passions. So I remember, you know, you recorded the 1986 OP Pro uh, on ESPN and we would yeah. watch that tape over and he had Frida Zamba, Pam Burridge in the final. And it was at the time of like the height of like um, WWF was just coming on and you had like Hulk Hogan <laughs> And you had Roddy Roddy Piper, the good guys, bad guys, and like Wendy Richter, you know, and then you had someone on the other side. I almost saw like Frida and Pam similar, but it, they obviously, you know, I was like, oh, Frida's kind of like Hulk Hogan-ish. And like surfing world to me was almost like WWF or WWE. Oh, did you see Pam as like the Dark Knight or something? I like did. That. I did a little bit, you know, I have to say, uh, you know, it is just. I don't know. As a kid, that's how you kind of frame things. You know, you saw like what was I watched a lot of WWF at that time. And so your reference then shifted when I started following surfing. I would do, apply do, those same rules to it. <laughs> do, you th- do you think it was an American? Austra- do you think the Australians saw Frida as like the baddie? Totally. Absolutely. You know, it was totally like that. And I, and I think it wasn't Pam was a baddie. It was just like. I'm supposed to root for the American. I'm American surfer, you know, kind of thing. Even though I love Docky, but I wanted her in the wind still, you know. Also. Oh, the thing is, I could see Frida be portrayed as bad. Not bad. I mean, just because she, she was so determined and everything. Yeah. 
and you could see like Flea Shaw in the corner, you know, her husband and manager being like really <laughs> like, like evil, like he's gonna like get Jimmy you. the Heart kind of right. <laughs> <laughs> Both Southerners, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Both have mustaches. Both have mustaches. <laughs> it's funny because I always thought of it's funny, like because um Pam, I always thought of her as really wholesome. There's something yeah. about her. There was, she always had this really nice, pleasant smile. And, you know, she was doing so well. And then I thought of her as really wholesome. And then when <laughs> I read about her being like this hard partying clubber, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, that was, that was super cool reading about like, just like she, she would go clubbing and then be on tour and like, have a life away from surfing almost. Mm. Uh, it was pretty cool. And it's, what's super interesting is Celibate Rifles, you know, the singer for <laughs> Celibate Rifles, Davian Lovelock was was her boyfriend. And then those that was like the soundtrack of the 80s surf movie or late 80s surf movie or Celibate Rifles. Oh, really? What? Yeah. Like, they I do. I've never heard of them until reading She about took this. the keys to the car. That's da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> that, oh that song from around the world in 80 waves and also around the world 80 waves yeah you know um that cellular rifle songs they have a whole bunch and they were in a, like a bunch of chris bystrom films and i always wonder like pam burge chris bystrom were they friends and then because chris did put her in uh beyond i think uh blazing boards i think is or beyond blazing boards she was in she i, I think like it was beyond yeah, yeah beyond blazing, blazing boards board. so you and know. that's so cool that she like, and again, and like Lane Beachley as well, you know, dating rock stars. Like yeah. it's, I like how it turns it on its head. Usually, you know, like, I mean, growing up the whole myth was, or the, 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 oh God, the teenage adolescent masturbatory dream was, you know, grow up and date like a famous, you know, be a surfer and date a famous woman, you know, something yeah. like that. But it's kind of cool how they flipped it on its head. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, and I mean, and you know, and Pam had her her soundtrack, <laughs> which is cool. And you know, so for listeners, if they want on iTunes, you can buy the 25th anniversary edition of Wave Sliders in a Blue Room, which is the Surfrider album. I wonder if oh, Surfrider this, still makes money on that. This album, God, I mean, <laughs> for all of you out there, probably if you're our age and older you, you remember it and actually can i just say yeah. back to what you were saying about the wrestling wwf i was just gonna say that okay do parallel. it do it so do the it. wwf came out with a you know an album where like hulk hogan had his song billy you know um you know Suka had a song uh junkyard nikolai volkov nikolai volkov you know, like, oh, oh best one what was your favorite come on well, I loved Hulk because I was like a Hulkamaniac, you know. But what was, did he actually sing it or did he have, it was Rick Derringer. It, did. Was, it was like Rick Derringer or some comes crashing down and it's hot inside. Dirt, dun, dun, dun. I am a real American. You I know, know but Hulk crazy. didn't sing it though. No, he didn't, but he, was... he posed around and did the video of it he and did. like it. And then, then there was the other like Hulk chant uh, song that he had also. Yeah, um, that was and, the and, opening song for the cartoon, by the way. <laughs> Which do you, just because I'm going to tie it into Pam singing, like, do, do, 
<laughs> Trust me. So back to the Surfrider album. Wait, wait, wait. What about Junkyard Dog song? Do you remember JYD? Grab them song? cakes. Yes. I love that. <laughs> That's actually a good song. Grab them cakes. He's <laughs> funky. Yeah, yeah. Funky. Pam song. Oh, I mean, yeah, real so so just yeah, Surfrider. That album. Has then Curran singing, it has Frida Zamba singing. It's basically took the WWF model of their album and said, oh, what if we took our surf stars and had each of them sing a song? And they, I guess they paired him with some musicians and obviously Curran could play. Oh, Curran's song is, holy shit, such a good song. It is. And then you get like Frida Zamba has a song. Pam, like it's hilarious. Like, but but Pam's song is amazing. That well, the one at the, at great, the beginning and of it this. was popular. It got written up in like the magazines and stuff. You know, it was very well produced, and and people can hear it at the beginning of the show. That's right. Yeah, that was. <laughs> oh, yeah, we didn't say what the song was. That's what we normally do. Summertime all summertime all around the world by Pam and the Passions. Yes. Oh, you did say but, that. Yeah, it must have at some point. But yeah, it it's but it is funny like how you view the world at a young age and mm. you take certain like storylines and you apply it to other things and like sports. I applied WWE to surfing almost and it felt like that even the way Derek Hind would write about it and I don't know. So yeah. But back to Pan like how so cool. she, she she seemed bad to she seemed like a bit like all right you know why does she have to come around and yeah I mean obstacles but 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 then like 1990 I really was like kind of rooting for her I was cheering for her like I I was like oh. I remember like getting that um, Surfer magazine with Brock Little on the cover you you got mm-hmm. it home and I remember you were like Curtin won the title again. Yeah, I came home one day from school. I remember you had the the magazine. I was like, oh, my God. And Marina and then I read Pam and I was like, oh, awesome. You know, I was all pumped that she won. And there's like that shot of her big, pretty sizable sunset with the bathing Mm. cap on. On her backhand as well. On her backhand. She was really good at sunset. I know. And it's uh, and and that's the thing. And she'd been at it for so long. Like she'd. It got it, it, it been out of for so long. It she almost seemed like kind of uh, straddling the two generations, you know. Like uh, it's kind of like Shane Aran, like you said. Like uh, there's another parallel. The two of them were, were quite young when they started on the tour. You know, they were yeah. teenagers, and I think they could get lumped in with the previous generation. You know, with mm. so Pam would get lumped in. With, with the Margot Obergs and um, the Lynn Boyers, you know, yeah. there's only one of each of them. That's always weird when people say that. The Margot Obergs. There's only one. <laughs> the Lynn Boyers. Are they, does she have like, yeah. <laughs> Clones? I know, it's weird. Can I, I met Lynn Boyer once. Really? Um, she, I, it's not very interesting. I want to say she was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> she was really cool. She ordered something from the Aliva Cafe? No, I was at, um, I was at some party. Uh, in Hawaii and she was there and Susie introduced me to it and I was so starstruck I didn't know what to say but she was yeah just real down-to-earth kind of person yeah I I um what I found interesting what I found was the um the pressure she had at a young age because 
the world tour is pretty much on the, the women's side was the inverse of the men's side of the world tour where it was mostly American and Hawaiian who dominated the ranks. And Pam was like the first uh, Australian to, to really make the, the top five, you know. Of the I know. It's like, that's, it's so weird. Like you think, <laughs> you know, the, the Australians were dominating everything in the, they were pro surfing in the yeah. 70s. And we, we, we know, we've talked about this. The Americans weren't really into it, but with women they were. And like, I mean, what, what was going on there? Why? What was the deal? Too many people watch Puberty Blues? <laughs> I don't know. Like, um, I think that's it. You know, the stereotyping, the machismo. I don't know. In, um, in Australia. Another fun fact, by the way, Pam learned on a Kentucky Fried Chicken Kool-Aid. <laughs> Didn't most most pro surfers most pros during that time? I mean, it's that. like it's just I just I want to find one of those one day. Well, that's an. I mean, that's. I don't know if everybody. I mean, I get everyone from Australia will know what a, a KFC Kool-Aid is, but they're they're basically like little little stiff styrofoam. <laughs> <laughs> little stiff. like little boogie boards but like surfboards like like we have now like you know the Basically, softboards right like a you know fo- the it's like styrofoam packing basically i think and you know so it's watertight and just molded into a kind of a board and then you have the kernel on it yeah. for its original <laughs> spices where mr does great commercial on that that's right yes it's yes i've seen that that's definitely worth going onto youtube for everyone absolutely (laughs) mark richards uh touting kfc's (laughs) he makes a comparison of the spices to a surfing style original (laughs) oh that's the thing it it doesn't seem like he's selling out when he does it he really believes it he really does he's very sincere I think, I mean, I, I'm, you know, no, I, no one's ever asked MR, like, how much fried chicken did you eat after the commercial? Like, I'm curious, like, could you just well, walk to a KFC it, and just. Here's another, bucket? here's another tie in to, to Shane Horan. Like, <laughs> at one of the interviews or profiles with Shane that he did in the 80s, um, he, he criticized Mark, you know, he was, he was talking up his own really healthy lifestyle, you know. Uh, yeah. Shane was famous for being, you know, a vegetarian or maybe even a macrobiotic, you know, just yeah. really serious about his health. And then he was saying, but look at MR, you know, he's drinks Coca-Cola and rots his guts out and hangs out in a coal mine. <laughs> and I was really growing up thinking, oh my God, like when, once he punches out of his day job, he actually goes down to the actual coal mine and kicks back with a bottle of Coke. <laughs> It's but great as was... a kid, you, 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 you think something is one way, <laughs> you know, you take things very literally. <laughs> oh my God. It's so great. <laughs> but, but I guess that's the thing, like back to what you said, you know, why, why did Australia, why were they late to the game with the female surfers? And you, you pointed out Puberty Blues, the film, the, the famous film. Well, I don't know if it's famous. Cold, it's famous cold mo- classic. Cold which, classic, which yeah. shows kind of, um, teenage life in the early 80s and the beach in australia and um and you know i think pam talks about it in 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 one of the articles you know just like it that movie really depicts like the attitude towards towards girls and women 
in surfing back then there. And, and I know it wasn't great in America, but, and this is, I'm God, I, this is only what, what somebody once told me, but in the nineties, when my friend Mark went backpacking in Australia and he came back and he said, Oh, you'd love it there. He said, the women loved me there. And I said, why Mark, <laughs> you're Mark. <laughs> and he said, because I'm American and I'm not, a, he said, when I went to Australia, it was like going back in the fifties, the attitude towards women. It's funny. I don't know if that's actually true because if, all the women I'd ever met from Australia in the nineties were just such strong, confident kind of outgoing people. So I, I don't, but it, ah, it speaks to, to Pam yeah. being quite special. The fact that she overcame all that bullshit, you know, like, and she didn't have any family members who surfed, you know, her, her older sister was in the Olympics though, 1984 Olympics. Fun facts. There's something special there. Yeah. Yeah. But, but her parents, really supported her which was super cool like they they treated her surfing like with like their other daughters swimming i guess well it, like, she did say at right? first they didn't first. they weren't that happy about her doing it but yeah. they said once they thought saw she was into it then exactly you know like that that's very special and rare must have been pretty rare at that time you know with you know to have such progressive and really supportive parents um you know, I mean, that's, you know, and, and you know, I, I follow Pam on Instagram, you know, and her parents lived quite a long time. And, you know, it seemed like they had a really lovely relationship and really, you know, I don't know, it just seemed, yeah, I. I yeah, another you know, unusual thing. Another, <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> to have a good relationship to your parents. But, I mean. No, I mean, a long lifetime kind of uh, relationship, you know, that doesn't. Yeah, it's, it's cool, um, you know, and then. Uh, well, that, and also like the fact that they were so supportive of her being so into competitive surfing when even for the men, it wasn't a big prospect, <laughs> career prospect, but for the women, it was like, I guess. I, I you know, to. So I don't know if you you've seen the the trailer for Girls Can't Surf. Oh my god, that is amazing. Holy shit, it looks so awesome. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I really I hope this thing just busts wide open and just really just you know, everyone watches it. It seems like such a great interesting story. I oh, love this, this is oh yeah go on no no you go on real quick oh, I, I was just gonna say it like yes you know you said the other day when you told me about it you said Jamie this is gonna be like the movie you know like we had the momentum generation made it big you know got an Emmy or, or whatever you know but this is the one and I felt the same way but and I I, I really hope it does because it not just because of the message but but even just watching the trailer, the way it feels, just feels so cool and so uplifting. And you think like, um, you know, Dogtown made it big, Riding yeah. Giants made it big, Momentum Generation made it big. If this doesn't make it big, it's going to be like surfing's uh, version of Rodriguez, you know, searching for Sugar Man, you know, the yeah. thing that should definitely make it big. And if it, it doesn't, it's like, what the... Yeah, it it just looks so awesome, and and you know I always feel like there's a lot of romanticizing about the pro tour in the '80s and '90s, especially among the men. You know, and how rough they did it, and how it was difficult, and blah blah blah. 
they had it, Pam and the rest of the women surfers had it even worse, you know, and would be sent out in the shit conditions. Yeah, I love that one scene. You know, oh, do you know what? Maybe we should tell people what we're talking about. Which <laughs> I don't think we've said what girls. Yeah, no, it's a documentary about women's, uh, basically girls can't surf. It's a documentary about the, you know, the, the emergence of women's professional surfing and its story and really documents like all the, you know, the shit that we're talking about here with Pam and Frida and all the, the pros you know, since the conception of the pro tour, basically, and uh, and how, you know, how hardcore and how dedicated these women were to surfing, to the cause, you know, and to not to be disrespected and mistreated. When you look back on history, you know, there's a clip of Kong saying, you know, oh, they'll never be, they'll never be as good as the boys. Uh, paraphrase here, um, yeah. but ironically, 1992 OP Pro Teams Challenge, who was the star on the Aussie team, Pam Burridge, where Gary Elkerton was like waving to get her a double whammy. And then let's just point out Kong's performance at the Azores Masters Championships and Pam's. So he was wrong about that, by the way. All right. <laughs> but just but wanted to point out the irony there no but it is an interesting um thing you know like how uh you, you remember in, in matt's article sexism sucks yeah you know, from the early 90s where he really took on the the sexism in surf in surfing like head on yeah. um and i think it's it's reading the article again it's 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 got some really good points and and pam you know she brings up this one part how, you know, the parents and a couple other people were pointing out how there's, you know, some women who are really trying to surf like the men. And, you know, she brings up, said, well, it's, that's kind of like, it's, it's quite tricky because you do have different physiques. You are going to be surfing Mm -hmm. differently. And in a way, like, should you be trying to do exactly what the men are and the way they are. I mean, I guess in dancing and in, in gymnastics, you don't because there's a different style. And you, there will be a lot of similarities. And obviously, you know, you yeah. watch the best surfers today and they're, the women, they're, they're doing stuff that you know, I can only dream of. But instead of trying to look like, it, it was just interesting, like the whole idea of should, you know, is it apples and apples or is it apples and oranges or is it slight different? You know, is it, are women better surfers in a different way than men are? You know, it's a whole, whole thing to unpack there. That is, I mean, I, I've thought about it too, cause there, it is a different, it can be a different way of surfing, but then there are some who, who, you know, surf, I don't know, maybe it's more of a spectrum of surfing. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, because you can say, you know, there's some surfers who draw similar lines, whether they're men or female. And then, you know, and then in, even in high performance, there's certain styles that are kind of similar, you know, from both men and female. I don't know. I mean, it's hard. brings in the whole conversation of how you judge surfing and what is good surfing. Um, you know, if you go by the, the WSL's criteria of speed, power, flow, that's quite a lot of latitude to interpret. You know, it's, it's definitely like, okay, what is speed? What is flow? What is power? You know, 
like those are things that need to be broken down uh, as well. Maybe maybe it is in the rule book. I don't know. No, but you're right. That's a really good point. How actually, what is good surfing? Maybe if we shifted the criteria and looked at it a different way, maybe the all the women are much better surfers than the men. We're just looking at it from a different kind of way there. Uh, that that very well could you know. I think there's there's a case to case to be made. You know, I mean whether you. Who would you rather watch in Kelly Slater's wave pool, Seth Gilmore or uh, Gabriel Medina? Oh, I mean, personally, I'd rather watch Steph. And I'm you know, yeah. just like the the lines she draws. It fe- it's like it's like whenever somebody who doesn't surf asks me, you know, who's the best surf? I say, well, it's very it's similar to music. You know, you can listen to Joe Satriani on a guitar, and he's the such a technically amazing guitar player. But then you can listen. To someone who plays, you know, not as like, they can sound better, you know, without being able to do so. Yo, Satriani, the the late eighties, early the late eighties, nineties, surfing guitar, surf guitar virtuoso, or just a regular virtuoso who guitar virtuoso who advertised in Surfer magazine around that time. Yeah, I mean, well, he was known as the like the top guitar player at the time until Gary Hoey came along. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Gary Hoey from in the summer too. Right. But I mean, I, I, like I brought up before the 92 OP pro team challenge. Mm. Um, You remember that contest? Uh, Is that the one where like they used a clip of Slater they used a clip of Slater and Baywatch, like from that competition, I think. Yeah, yes, yes. they did. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, that's that's terrible that that's my main memory of that contest. <laughs> well, it was kind of a non event way, you know, I mean, although there was a couple, like the, the early parts there when it was Chunky Huntington and Slater was doing like those 360 reverses on closeouts were kind of mental at that oh, time. Chunk, Chunkington. Chunkington. <laughs> But, but there was the teams and the finals were Aussies versus the Americans. And on the Aussie team, I believe you had Gary Elkerton, Rick, Richard Dogmarsh, Dog Shane Powell, and Pam Burridge. Uh, and then basically uh, the Aussies went out, like, I think it was like Gary Elkerton uh, went out. Oh, and Glenn Winton was out too on the team too. And like Elko really royally effed up and just had a really shocker of a heat and it was kind of small conditions. And then, you know, the Americans were going ahead and then I believe dog Marsh went out and had like an okay performance, but it was Pam who had like the best performance of everyone, on the team. And they were like, Oh, we got to give her the whammy. You know, it was just, I don't know. I always remember that nice. being like Pam rips. Here's a fun, interesting thing. She was sponsored by rip curl at some point in the early nineties. Why wasn't she on the search? I I know. What, uh, what a missed opportunity of awesomeness that could have been done. Uh, you know, Derek, particularly, I think there's fault there. You know? I, well, and that's the thing. Like, that if... And that's how th- I think so much has changed since then, I think, you know, for the better. That, you know, like, if, if the search campaign was all about pushing a lifestyle and a look and a feel like having someone like Pam on that would have been perfectly suited. I mean, didn't that, I mean, even, even, even if you're going for surface, like very shallow kind of stuff, like her, 
her look was, you know, as, as Matt was beautiful. described it, she was, of course, she was really beautiful, but also like she looked like she just, you know, came from a festival, you know, like a quite a real, like a, a hippie traveler, you know, in the, in the 90s, that was her look. And it would have just gone so well with the search campaign. And I guess that's the thing. She she also makes a really good, um, and that's the thing, if you're talking back to the whole Matt's criteria for a Mount Rushmore, you know, uh, wisdom and and being articulate as well. Anything I've ever read from her is incredibly articulate. And she said, you know, this was back in the early 90s when she said this. And she said, you know, young boys at the beach, you know, like they kind of hang out in their groups. And it's, it's I think it's kind of natural, you know, when you, in your early early teen years, you kind of like bunch together in your cliques. It's your first yeah. time you're getting away from your parents and you're bonding with your friends. And she said quite often when you went down to the beach, you'd see all the boys hanging out together. It was really hard to permeate that group as a girl. Mm -hmm. And if there were other girl surfers, it might've been fine, but there weren't. So she was on her own a lot during that time. But then she says, you know, like those in surfing, particularly those boys would keep staying that way as they got older. And yeah. you know how, like, even now, like with surfing, like we're kind of living out old fantasies and dreams that we had when we were 12. Yeah. And that would happen to the boys. They would, become adults and they hadn't changed you know they stuck stayed stuck into that you know uh all boys club kind of um mentality and then they went on to become captains of industry and they weren't enlightened so they would perpetuate it and surfing you know like do, do you feel like it's it i always feel like surfing kind of lagged behind other sports in it totally does it's so not progressive um it's not you know, to me, uh, I feel like surfing in general uh, in the last 20 years is quite conservative overall. There's not, you know, they try to portray things as rebellious, but there's nothing rebellious about a lot of privileged young white men basically trying to act like they're rebelling, you know, <laughs> like by partying or getting drunk or whatever, you know, it's like, it's, uh, yeah, I, I feel like when you look, I mean, but it's weird in some ways, like the WSL equal prize money, men and women, which is not done. Uh, I don't I don't know many other play other sports that do that. I think they're the only ones or one well, of the that's few. the thing in, in one way, like having, you know, um, one of the things that probably perpetuated the the, the, the sexism in surfing was that it was such a lifestyle sport, you know, a life, it was a lifestyle and the yeah. lifestyle was wrapped up in the image of, you know, hanging out at the beach, men flexing, not flexing, but you know, like yeah. showing off for girls yeah. lying on the beach and checking out girls in bikinis and stuff. And that, you know, spilled over into the ads, it spilled over into the films, spilled over into to the music, everything. Yeah. And, in a, and like we were just saying before, other sports, because there were more sports, kind of eventually progressed more quickly. And maybe that's why the WSL, because it's such a sporty kind of thing, has come in and like kind of from the outside mainstream sports world. And even though I know we, there are certain aspects of that that we don't like, but it's actually injecting a bit of modernity maybe into the sport. Maybe. I, I feel Much like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, there's a lot, a lot of things, you know, you can complain about the WSL for, but how they promote the women's surfing is phenomenal. It's, mm. it's just 
awesome they get. I think the same respect, the same amount of promotion, the build up, they, they, it feels like they really believe in the stories that they're telling out of it. And I think that's really, that does come across to me as authentic. And so, you know, there's a, you know, there's things that can be done better, but God, like how, how far it's come. I mean, I remember in the late nineties when the women's, women's basically kind of broke away from the men's side of the tour in some ways and started holding its own events and got Kahlua to be the main sponsor. And I remember just how hard it felt like the women were selling it too. They were wearing the rash guards, doing all the photo ops, like doing everything the sponsors wanted, you mm -hmm. know, and it wasn't able to, to maintain longer term growth and they weren't able to bring in other sponsors, but it's just like kind of, kind of a shame, you know, uh, there's such a lost opportunity. And I think also just the talent, right? Like, if, if there were more women surfers who started in the 60s and stayed surfing and encouraged others, I think there wouldn't be as much of a performance gap between men and women too. Oh, and that's the thing. The gap has been closing lately totally. because especially since probably the late 90s. I, I mean, that's the thing you have to say. Uh, I suppose the whole Roxy promotional campaign probably did help to get a lot of uh, girls and women interested in surfing, mm -hmm. I think. I'm not sure. Or, or yeah. at least there was a correlation there. And since then, you've had more and more women surfers and probably with all the surf schools and it mm -hmm. becoming more of a recreational thing and not so intimidating. You know, like it used to be that you'd paddle out. And I remember if a, if a and, and that's a thing I feel like I used to have a, a, a very tweaked image of of what girls and women's places in surf and i remember being like 13 14 out in the water it was just guys out there and then if a, a woman paddled out it would really throw me i would be like combination of like feeling like whoa whoa well this is our like someone came into the dressing room or into the <laughs> locker room not the dressing room and 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 i'd feel i i, I wouldn't know how to react i should i look should i know it was such this crazy way of being it so it must like can you imagine like what, I don't know what it would have felt like, but I wouldn't want to be the shoe on the other foot. It's no, I mean, that's the thing. It, we, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of us and a lot of the surf media and culture, you know, is, has really failed, you know, a lot of people who, who had potential and opportunities and like Pam, like should be, like we, sh she should be on surfing's Mount Rushmore, competitive surfing's Mount Rushmore. I think, you know, I think she, she, you know, that we should be should be celebrated. I mean, it's it's awesome. Like you see Lane Beachley kind of celebrated, but leaving Lane like has to almost she has to shout it still. You know, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's still not paid attention to. Whereas. Mick Fanning farts like it's on the news, you know. Like, <laughs> I feel like, I, well, then that's and nothing know, wrong, nothing against Mick Fanning farting or anything. I'm sure it's well, not lovely, <laughs> but <laughs> I feel like he'd be a guy who'd be cool with farting, you know. Of course, he probably him and I mean, he probably lets him rip all the time. I mean, he opens a bottle with his sandal. Come on. <laughs> You know, I used to have, did you ever, you had those sandals. I like have them. They're comfy. I don't use them for that reason. Well, I did. And then I remember like someone saying, Jimmy, what, what are you doing? I'm like, well, no, look, it's got a thing here. And I even said it like in a comedy Aussie accent. He said, Jamie, 
where have you been walking? Like, I'm like <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I, I was, you know, you brought up, she should be on sur- women's uh, surfing Mount Rushmore. And I, I don't really want to competitive, not women's competitive. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to say who should or shouldn't be on, yeah. but based on the attention, you just said a minute ago mm. that like, Lane's had to like sell herself, you know, yeah. I mean, not less, you know, but she works hard at, you know, like she, she has to do, she, she earns, has to do her own horn, you know? Yeah. She and, earns every uh, yeah. buck she gets, I, I'd say. And, um, and you're saying, you know, like, uh, and Pam doesn't get enough recognition, like, but there are some women throughout history who probably do get the, uh, you know, like do get the recognition. And if we were going to come up with a, a, if the powers that be or if people voted on a um, women's surfing route, Rushmore, you know, like who, who do you think would be the four or five people? Like that... surfer pole style you're talking here? Yeah, well, no, over time, like if you asked everybody else. He you know, took like... a segment of each generation at a certain time period in, and in, factored in. In, in. in the stratosphere, in the <laughs> yeah. ether. Who who do you think gets is revered as Mount Rushmore people? Margot Oberg, Margot Oberg, yeah. and Relson, definitely. Then um, you would probably obviously put uh, you know Lisa Anderson. I think Lane Beachley, and that's like four four people, right? Yeah, I I'd say yeah, I had. You know, I even Lane... though I think even though I think Pam should be up there too, damn it! No, no, no. There She's... should be more. It needs to be more. Jeez, I just contradicted myself. Well, no, I mean we could <laughs> have more. You know, like we yeah. have, you know, we have other monuments. You know, don't have to just have that. She Rushmore. would be next up there for me. I, I, I also, I, I had the the first three you had, and I had Lane as a, a possible, and then I and I had Lane and Steph as the possible Steph. ones. And then, but then I had Joyce Hoffman as the other uh, one who would definitely have been up there. Yeah, it's too much. I, I mean, it's just, it's funny. You want all of them to to get the recognition and, and get more praise. Uh, my hope for this movie of Girls Can't Surf is that it will spark more interest in these in in women's surf history. I think uh, because that's a side that that I think. Uh, I think one for stories, it would be fascinating to, to read about, uh, particularly from, from our perspective now. Um, yeah, probably you, more interesting, like, because they actually had a, something to push against. You yeah. Know? And that the type of people they had to be. Well, uh, yeah, I don't want to get into us like just doing too much. Like, Sorry. Oh, yeah. Women, women, you know, like. Yeah, but, no. But you're right. I think there would be more interesting stories. And, um, it way more to mine there, you know, because there was also like keeping sexuality hidden for some of the surfers. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was, there's a lot. I mean, and the, you know, just the you know, that story of someone, regardless of gender, going out and doing something, and people are pushing against them, and things are pushing against them, and they keep persisting, and they keep just doing what they do. Um, is just such a compelling story and and over overcoming those obstacles and gaining the respect um you know that's that's what motivates us as humans and that's what's interesting about pam too is she 
how freaking persistent she was, like just kept at it. I did a, a bit of semi-retirement in 93 and then came back in 96, like accidentally almost too, it sounded like. Oh, yeah, what what was the accidental part? She like did well in like some local con some contests in Australia, and then I think she went to South Africa and competed in a comp there, and and then all of a sudden had a chance to qualify, you know, and so she was like, all right, I'm gonna go for it, kind of thing, and then oh, was on for cool. like three more years and got like, I think third or second one of the years, <laughs> like, yeah, her dude. first year back she was third, like, yeah, when when you would have thought that like it was, I mean you would have thought that, that she was gone, but didn't like, if you were on the tour at the time, you like, ah, don't have to worry about her anymore. You know, like she, she's from the old, you know, like guard, you know, in the past, although she was only 30 when she came back, you know, like this just shows she'd been at it since she was what, 15, so, yeah, 15 or 16, 15. Yeah. Um, did you read that thing? Like when she was 16, the, the crazy, how she, she was first place going into the last competition. Yeah. And second place was Debbie Beecham. Mm -hmm. And Pam still came ahead of Debbie in the contest. And still lost because of mathematical. Yeah, it must have been like. Uh, the throwaway contest, you know, oh, where you throw away a contest. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine that had something to do with it. But I know <laughs> that's heartbreaking. I know. And can you imagine, though, like you'd think, OK, that sucked getting like, I was so close, but I'm 16. <laughs> I'm not even fully you know, matured yet. This winning title should be a piece of piss after this, you know? Oh, yeah, persistence. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that definitely has to have a, it could have a really positive effect on you being a much more likable human being. <laughs> and then, um, you know, she now, uh, you know, where does she live? She is retired, retired from the tour, I think in 99. Mm -hmm. And then ben, Bendelong, I think. Bendelong, yes, Bendelong. I, like that name. <laughs> I know. So cool. <laughs> New South Wales, and like runs a surf school and seems like, and, you know, and uh, Ravage Mark, you know, does builds like hot rods and stuff, refurbishes them. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> they seem like cool. they have such a cool relationship. I like. I don't know. It just obviously don't know Pam or Mark, but they seem cool. And he has like such a moment in history, you know, right? Oh yeah. He shaped the that board, board. The, the, the board. board, like it was three inches thick apparently or something really thick too. shaped it for Curran to ride, you know, or not for Curran, it was for Pam, but Curran took it out and caught that bomb backdoor wave. Uh, no, no, I think that board was shaped by Hamish Graham. And yes, that was a three inch board, I think. And I can go run into the other room and check for you. Oh, I, which issue I blew it, is. it. But I think I mean, Mark Ravage, I thought, shaped the, the board for wave number one at, um, at uh, J Bay. I thought this yeah. could be something that people could call in and correct. This. Yeah, please. Is it because that's you're right. There are two boards. Well, I mean, there's a lot of boards at Kern Road, which are quite famous but i and yes so if, if i thought it was the i thought it was the the backdoor board uh i thought derek wrote about it somewhere it was uh, yeah it's like in waves did. or something 
No, it's it's true. There is there is a story about the, the board that Curran rode that crazy backdoor big wave yeah. that's at you know near the beginning of searching for Tom Curran. It's on yeah. the cover of a Surfers Journal. It was in the Rip Curl Tidemasters watch yes. ad. I mean, it was it was. I know, and he said it was a big, fat, chunky board. And um, do you, here, p- pause. I'll get it. I know exactly what it is. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a break while we get facts right. Okay, we're back. We fact checked each other, or well, Jamie fact checked me. I, well, I think so. So I've got the issue here. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's a Surfer's Journal. I, I think it's got the answer. Here. It's Volume Five, uh, Number Two. It's got a current on the cover on the board. You're talking about it back yeah. door. Uh, it's this uh, this particular issue has Joey Cabell's Life of Precision and Control, oh, 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 yes. the never-ending journey one. of Jim Banks. Oh, it has. Um, That's a good uh, one. It has Alan Weisbecker's uh, A Caribbean Tale of Waves, Dude, Women, and the Midlife be, Blues. That could be one of the top surfers, one of the t- in the top ten surfers journals. It's pretty all. good. It's, <laughs> it's action-packed. Um, and uh, it's also it's also got a Gilgo memoirs, but uh, Dude, Jerry Stewart. For us, it's probably like the best one. Yeah, and um, and that was written by Jerry Stewart, also, which a pioneering woman surfer as well. Okay, so. And oh, and it's also got where to go. Oh, yeah, well, Matt Warshaw wrote uh, Joey Bells. Anyway, so a most memorable board, blah, blah. Aha. Oh, yes. you so, got it. I don't even have to read very long, so it won't take very long, guys. <laughs> a most memorable barrel, backdoor winter 95 96. In quotations, this is Tom Curran uh, describing it to Derek Hind. And uh, I think. Uh, Steve Pesman says that um, uh, it's, it said Tom's personal recollection of the ride, his situational surf descriptions are frequently the most deftly articulated in surf literature, <laughs> which is interesting because he Tom Tom Kern's got two sides to his way of speaking. Like, yeah, there's the side where like he stumbles and everything, but then there's a side when you read some interviews, it's like, does he have a ghost? a speaker or something because he's incredibly <laughs> articulate but anyway he writes here <laughs> uh claw you know claw warbrick yeah uh, suggested it'd be a good thing to go for a wave and get a watch shot for an ad it's the tide masters uh watch ad we we're talking about <laughs> i remember being washed way down past Ayukai, uh slapped around before i made it out the board was three inches thick a 7-0 hamish Oh, oh yeah! Oh, you beat me. You got me. I, I am going to skip forward to the end because yeah. it's it's his uh, situational deafness or whatever you want to call it. That deafness <laughs> for uh, from start to finish. Yeah, sometimes you have to brace yourself for something like that. From start to finish, it was up to God to release me or to be drawn and quartered. All I had to go on was that it was a peak and makeable. <laughs> you think Kern really said that? Yeah, so cool. You think he really said that? I think he did. <laughs> drawn quartered. Drawn oh, quartered. You know, drawn quartered, and you know, well, it's oh. <laughs> a current invitation. So, I mean, while we're on a roll of yeah. stumping each other. Oh, all right. Well, 
first that was really fun cover i just want to say that was really fun covering pam i really enjoyed learning about her going on the eos and uh checking it out and and then going down other various places we could find her like first i just also have to recap her footage at, at uh tavarua i believe it was on, yeah. on the oh EOS. my god there's barrels bloody hell she was deep so good so good so good I mean, this like, okay. This is the one thing. Like, yeah, the the way that the media controlled the way we thought about women surfing. Like, yeah, at that time, I had never seen pictures or films of women getting barreled, and I thought, well, I, maybe there's some reason for it. Maybe they can't do it. It wasn't that they weren't getting filmed. It's, it, it's just so unreal. Uh, and that footage, I think, was from Surfer Girl, I think it was. It was a documentary mm. where her and Frida Zamba and all that went to, you know, Tavarua and Wendy Botha and Jody Cooper. But, I mean, that, holy crap, like, she was threading those barrels and so stylish and so smooth. Like, uh, I really... I feel kind of cheated by surf media in some ways, you know, that there was not more uh, of that, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we missed out on the visuals and we missed out, like, you know, we're talking about her com competition history is so, 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 uh, so storied and so much interesting stuff. Yeah. And if you go back and look at the contest write-ups in the magazines, it was pages and pages of the men. And then there'd be one paragraph and then they'd go back to the men again. Yeah. It was crazy. And you'd be forgiven. Well, no, maybe we shouldn't be forgiven, but it was just like, you just thought, well, obviously it's not worth reading about, is it? You know? Well, when you're a teenager, you know, you don't know much better, but it's, oh. it's holy shit. Like that, that footage was so good. And so I recommend everyone who listens to go check it out because total worthy viewing. Uh, oh, and the other thing to check out, which yeah. I didn't know about, was uh, her autobiography. I know. I autobiography or biography? Uh, autobiography, I think. Or, okay. But I went looking for that on Amazon. I couldn't find it. Oh, that'd be cool. That would yeah, be I really would love to. She had an autobiography for, uh, it was popular even in surfing. Right. You know, wasn't that yeah, who, many out around that time. Maybe Greg Knoll and... You know, a nad or no, no, he came later. So I mean, that's true. That was career. a real, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. There's a lot of missed opportunities, unfortunately. Uh, of and hopefully we, we can go back and dig it and up. Hope, and hopefully, like this movie, girls can't surf, will help inspire uh, other people to start going back and looking at all of it. Yeah, and it does happen, you know, like when, when when we started surfing, like surf history wasn't really that well known. Like guys like Greg Knoll in the early, Matt did an interview with mm. him like in the mid 80s. And it was like, oh, this this guy who used to surf. But then and that's all he seemed like at the time. But then as the 80s gave way to the 90s, he became larger than life because we finally found out all about him and and surfing's past. Yeah. And I think I think the media started everything shifted to like there was more money and so it was able to promote this mythology, you know, that's that's been going on in surfing, you know. I mean, it started with Surfers the movie in some ways. Yeah. And I guess that's <laughs> why right now you can have a movie 
like girls don't surf because there are so many well people not just women but there are so many women surfing now that you would be interested in and actually so many people just would be interested in that now so absolutely you know so that was that was our pam discussion not pan with an n but pan with an m and if you ever watch that with stepbrothers pan pan is it pan no it's pam Sorry. Is anyway. this how we're going to end the program, no. Tyler? God. No, we have Stomp My Bro. All I right. Really feel, I feel like I could actually hear you echoing even without the effect now. <laughs> you figured out how to do it. I figured out how to trick my voice to do it. <laughs> um, so we have our stump our bro where we each ask each other a question and try to uh, stump each other. Jamie more often than not gets me. Um, and we, so, we should say that if people want to play along, they could pause the podcast yes. after we ask the question and they could like go and think about it for a while. They have that option. And feel free to email <laughs> us your thoughts on the answers or anything like that. Or just DM us on Instagram. Um, but okay. So do you want to go first? Would you like um, to go first, sir? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Age before beauty. No. Wow. Cheers. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, Jamie. You, you. <laughs> Walked right into that one. Yeah, you did. <laughs> All right. So staying with the theme. Yeah. Um, it's a three-part question. I mean, not not a long-part thing, but uh, one. It needs you was, to show the work. <laughs> <laughs> who was who was the first woman to ever surf in a pro contest? What year was it and what contest was it? So it's a who, what, and when. I feel like, wasn't there money for the Makaha contest? 1954, I think. And n- no? Oh, I don't know. That... That, I don't think there was actually. I don't think so. There's money, maybe not. Then the real first pro, like beginning pro tour type thing, I think was '75, right? And um, I mean, they had pro contests before that, like yeah. uh, you know, the the Coke, the Smirnoff, and the Coke 2SM, and. Um, but I thought like that was, I guess, like that was like kind of the the start. They talk about like that that one women's that one contest that started I mean, where it was women and men equal pay. Wasn't that? I mean, my question just simply yeah. is: Who was the first woman to ever surf in a professional contest to make Margot money? Oberg? No, but we'll come to that. Though. Oh, <laughs> what contest? I don't know. <laughs> what contest? Well, I would say Margot Oberg. Yeah. No, I'm going to come back to that in in a minute, actually. <laughs> but the in 1973, Fred Hemmings was not the first woman to surf in a contest, but he invited Laura Blears to surf in the men's Smirnoff Pro-Am on the North Shore. So, you know, Laura Blears, you know, she was um, son, uh, daughter of sure. Lord Tally Ho Blears, brother of Jimmy Blears, who was the world champ. Um, Laura Blears famously, uh, although it was kind of like, uh, you know, no, not necessarily notorious, but... You know, she she became incredibly famous, and there, as a if you ask the average Joe in the street, who's mm-hmm. a pro women surfer, they you know why they would have said Laura Blears. 
Because she was, she, you know, she uh, posed nude, I Playboy. think, in, in, I think in a Playboy surfing. Um, but she was an amazing surf, big wave surfer, you know, everything. Yeah. But she got invited to surf in the the men's Smirnoff on the North Shore, in 1973. I did not know that. And she actually made it out of the, her first heat. And um, for the following two years, Fred did invite more and more women to compete in the Smirnoff. And by 1965, there were six women invited into it. They, but what they did is they took those women and they scattered them about so they'd have one woman in a all men's yeah. heat, another. And then um, this was because this was in the article I sent you the other day, you know, about the the, the first women pro surfers in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And, um, you know, they were saying that, like, uh, apparently, like, most of the guys were just kind of like giving them the cold shoulder. But apparently there was one guy who was super cool to them. And, you know, it was just like treated them with respect and like equals. And which yeah. pro do you think it was in the early 70s? Lopez? No, but he would have been someone oh, I can imagine being really cool. Hackman? No, uh, but also a Hawaiian. I mean, this, I mean, maybe uh, they were cool as well. But buttons? Aikau, Eddie Aikau. Of course, of course. Out in the heat and he was just like, just cool, you know. Wow. But that just... Uh, that just furthers how how freaking awesome he was yeah yeah but that's i mean how i mean crazy like that if you're gonna because the, the, apparently the women did lobby fred hemmings they called him up and said look you know can we can we have, can we have a, a women's contest or a women's division and he's like don't tell me what to do these are my contests <laughs> but then he finally started to relent and said all right all right you know, i'll put you in the men's contest <laughs> but so the women on their own um, yeah. for, formed the, the women formed an association and put on the first women's professional contest in 1975. Do you know what contest that was? I don't. Well, that one was won by Margot Oberg, and that was the WISA um, and at Malibu. And that one, it, you can if you go on YouTube, there's a lot of footage of that contest. I think this. Ah. I'm pretty sure there's some really good Linda Devoli footage. You know, from New nice. Jersey. You know. Um, but Margot won that one, and that was like the first proper women's pro contest the year I was born. Oh, I like that. Well, okay, so mine's gonna be easy. Uh, name the number one couple ranked in Matt's glamming the joint up. <laughs> I read that. Oh, uh, <laughs> I mean. Well, that's because that was going to be, I thought, <laughs> you, uh, you know, like, oh, I, I don't want to put you down, Tyler. But I, I wrote that down in my first stub, but I was like, no, that's too, like, we're just saying, oh, you know, like, no, nah, I thought it was cool. And I, th and I also thought that I'd already asked a question about one of the people on the list. Last I know. <laughs> yeah. So everybody out there. We, we we know of we know of uh, Axel Rose and uh, his, his relationship with Stephanie Seymour, and yeah. she was you know the star of you, you remember mean. Rain um, videos, but there was a surfer out there who actually beat him to the punch, and you'll never guess who it was. Give him some clues about this guy, Ty. You know him, don't you? The guy who oh well, 
um, clues and see if he's quite hydrodynamic. <laughs> um, well, this guy is hydromatic. La Jolla, La Jolla Wind and Sea surfer, uh, regular foot who rips. And uh, yeah, that, that would be my, those are quite a few clues. <laughs> he has really terrible vision by the looks of it, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> he's kind of blind <laughs> no. good writer but, uh, yeah yeah are we going to answer that or are we going to leave it hanging there for them <laughs> besides you still haven't answered the the question yourself who is the number one the it, number it was, one couple it was richard kenvin and um no oh were they the last place one no they were like uh they were the first fifth one or six no tommy's on and marilyn monroe okay they won okay. I yeah. mean, but yeah, RK, Stephanie Seymour. That was pretty cool seeing the little pictures of RK in there. How about Sean Thompson and Tracy Austin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but what's it with the La Jolla guys? Like, you know, last week, you know, or last time, you know, we had uh, Diff and Durfer and... Um... Yeah, I mean, must be something in the water. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> Actually, um, another... Okay, who was another pretty glamorous couple from Wind and Sea from the late sixties? Uh like jeez. Like the the woman was, you know, semi-famous, kind of it, definitely like a top socialite. Um, you know, like good friends of Jimi Hendrix, you know, like dad was um was like a, a senator or something like that. And and the the, the guy was like one of the most famous surfers from the 60s like worldwide famous i don't know from well, and they and they're very groovy couple like was really big into the whole oh know, like herbie LSD. herbie no, no. no but, but good <laughs> no, friends he sang for many yeah um i don't know mike hinson and, and melinda oh, merriweather you know oh, like shit. they were like yeah. the, the uber groovy couple so yeah, so wow, man, that then, man, that's that water. Yeah, serious wind and sea. <laughs> it's like, but but, but the reason I, I tell the reason you know about all this yeah. is because Pam Burge made the list with uh, Damien Lovelock. There. Exactly, Damien Lovelock, who celibate rifles. Uh, for those of you who like to listen, who watch the movie Pump or Around the World in Eighty Waves or a few other movies you'll recognize it there their soundtrack i i i still listen to celibate rifles actually do you yeah when i get psyched up to drive down to go for a surf there's a couple songs that were in madman saints and sinners the chris <laughs> meister <laughs> <Yeah>. movie <laughs> and it's the one where like tom carroll's like going berserk like a pipe and it's like it's, it's just real thumping song that's kind of it but anyway that is the sunday joint uh the surf adjacent podcast of the encyclopedia of surfing i'm tyler brewer and we've just been rambling for a while we hope you enjoyed it and uh we'll check you on the flip side Ooh.